0: The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com slash connect. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Well, good morning again. It's good to be with you. Uh, If we haven't met before, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. If you've got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where... We're going to be, we are wrapping up sort of uh, this journey that we've been on over the course of Lent, working through the Lord's Prayer. We've been asking the same request of Jesus as his disciples in Luke chapter 11. Lord, teach us to pray. So it's been the title of this series and what we've been seeking to do as a church family through our Lent Guide and these daily rhythms of prayer. And I've realized, as I often do when we come to the end of a series, that we could have easily titled this sermon series something else. Namely, Ways to Commune with God. Now we didn't, because that would have been much more lame, but that's what we've seen consistently, week in and week out, has it not? As one pastor writes, what we see in the Lord's Prayer is that every delight, hallowed be your name. And every distress, right? The laments of our lives and every desire for daily bread and every debt, Lord, forgive us our invitations back into communion with God. Delight, distress, desire, and doubt. As a preacher, I love a good alliteration. But that's the stuff of our life, is it not? Desire, distress, delight, debt. That is the human existence. To be human is to live a life ping-ponging around these realities. And so we've been trying to see each week if that is the everyday stuff of our life, then all of life is an invitation back to communion with God if we would learn to pray. That's the underlying thread in the Lord's Prayer. And this week we're finishing with verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If I can add one more into it in the alliteration, letting our dangers be a place of communion with God. So we pray for us and then we'll dive into God's word together. Lord, we come before you once again. On in some ways, an ordinary Sunday, and in other ways, a very unordinary one. It's Palm Sunday, Lord, it's the day we remember. Christ's entry into Jerusalem, the start of this Passion Week of the Highest Highs, Communion, the Lord's Supper, and the lowest lows of betrayal and death, ultimately culminating in the greatest act in human history the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, so we come before you with humble hearts, with grateful hearts for what this week means for us as your followers, for hearts ready to hear from you and from your word. Lord, so would you speak to us, call through the noise, give us eyes to see what it is that you have for us this morning. We need you. We love you. Calm our anxious thoughts. Be present to us. Be near to us. In Jesus name. And all God's people said. Yeah. A couple of years ago, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence starred in a movie on Netflix called "Don't Look Up." In the movie, Kate Dibiaski, played by Lawrence, discovers a comet that is set to collide with and destroy the entire planet of Earth in about six months. And that kicks off the main plot point where Kate and her professor, Randall Mindy, played by DiCaprio, travel around the world trying to convince whoever will listen that the world is facing a real and imminent threat. But much to their frustration, no one will listen. The White House makes fun of them. They go on TV shows and the hosts make jokes at their expense. So here they are shouting into the world for the entirety of the movie. You're in very real danger. And everyone responds with laughs and shoulder shrugs. Now, for a variety of reasons, I'm very much not recommending the movie. I just wanted to start there because I feel like it's a pretty good picture of how it can feel to preach in 2023 about the realities of spiritual warfare and the very real presence and danger that comes with what the Bible calls the spiritual forces of evil. You see, the Bible is full of warnings about evil and the way evil wants to attack the people of God. Just in the life of Jesus alone, in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are at least 12 different accounts of Jesus casting out a demon. Or in Luke 22, the the last supper, he says to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, whatever that means, that he might sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Continue on in the trajectory of the New Testament, it makes total sense that the very man Jesus said this to, Simon Peter, says this in 1 Peter 5.8, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Consider Paul, who is disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You see, a common frame refrain in the whole narrative of Scripture is this We are at war. In fact, you can't get past the third chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, without seeing that there are two opposing forces throughout history, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of darkness wants nothing more than to attack the people within the kingdom of God. And yet for so many of us, at least in the day-to-day reality of our lives, we completely miss the warnings. Maybe even right now, you're like, what did I just walk into? I'll see you next week for Easter. This is not, no thanks, right? If you're new, welcome. So glad you're here. I think many of us, at least functionally, have very little category for the spiritual reality of evil, let alone a personal worker of evil. The scriptures introduced to us in the Satan, Satan, the devil. And yet here in Matthew 6, this part of the Lord's prayer, Jesus says, pray like this, deliver us from evil praying against the powers of evil and the very real danger they pose to us makes its way into Jesus teaching his disciples and us how to pray. And so if we could just over the course of the next few minutes, try to take the blindfold off and the earplugs out. I want to help us understand what the new Testament has to say about this danger, what the new Testament has to say about the threat of evil and what all of that will mean for learning to pray and ultimately commune with God for deliverance. And so we're going to do a little bit of a systematic theology, big picture, 30,000 feet on spiritual warfare. Again, if you're new, super glad you're here. Point one, here we go. Feel good? Danger and evil. Palm Sunday. Number one, there is an unseen spiritual realm. All right, so we're just going to go big picture, 30,000 feet. I need to help us understand the threat of danger. I'll be the person yelling about the comet for the next 20 minutes, all right? There is an unseen spiritual realm. So before we even get to the presence of evil, I just want to make sure that we understand there's more to the world than what we can see which I would argue might be the greatest hurdle for most of us in the room to overcome. Because most of us grew up in the modern secular West. So because we've grown up here, we have been trained by our society at large to live in what philosopher Charles Taylor calls the imminent frame. We've talked about this before. At its most basic level, the imminent frame is the notion that everything in the world is part of a natural order, understandable without reference to anything outside itself. In other words, the imminent frame, what you and I live in in a day-to-day reality, is that what is right in front of you and measurable and studyable, what you can taste, touch, feel, sense, that is what is real, and nothing else is real. Author Mike Cosper picks up on this idea when he writes, I am programmed to expect that the world is what I can see, touch, and measure, and any thought or idea that runs against that expectation is met with resistance, And I don't think I'm alone. I believe that most people experience something similar, a subtle but strong resistance to faith and a skepticism toward anything that veers toward the supernatural. You see, as those of us living in modern Western America, everything in the world around you is going to position you to a default setting of skepticism and doubt towards anything transcendent or supernatural or spiritual. The Bible constantly points us to what is transcendent, supernatural, and spiritual. I mean, just consider a few examples from the scriptures. 2 Corinthians 4. Paul writes, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Or the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It's the first reality, right? There is a spiritual unseen realm. There is life beyond what we can see, taste, touch, smell, and hear. There is a spiritual world, all right? Tracking so far? Great. Number two, in that spiritual realm, there are spiritual forces of evil. In that spiritual realm... There are spiritual forces of evil. So there is a spiritual realm and spiritual forces exist in that spiritual realm. And those spiritual forces are either good or evil. C.S. Lewis, the the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, he's famous for saying there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan, which leads us quickly to point three. Those spiritual forces of evil are against the people of God. Right? So there's an unseen spiritual realm. In that spiritual realm, there are spiritual forces of evil, and those spiritual forces of evil are against the people of God. Jesus teaches us to pray, deliver us from evil, or some translations, from the evil one. You see, evil is not just some abstract idea out there that stays put in the spiritual realm. Evil in the scriptures is a personal force or forces bent against and seeking to destroy the people of God. Consider Paul in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, the evil one. Four, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We wrestle the scriptures say, against the spiritual forces of evil, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. I hope you feel this is weighty and sobering stuff. We have an enemy. It's the people of God seeking, straining, moving to devour us, Paul says, with his schemes. And so it'd be helpful here for us to pause and just talk for a minute about the schemes of the enemy, the schemes of the evil one. If we're praying, deliver us from the evil one. What are the things we're praying for deliverance from? What are his schemes of attack? Let me just give you quickly a few. Genesis 3 says, one of the schemes of the devil is that he's a deceiver the devil would lie to us and get us to question God's goodness and kindness. That part of you that would say something like, I know God is good, but that is the scheme of the enemy. Revelation chapter 12, he's shown as the accuser, the one who would stand over those of us who are declared righteous, holy, clean, and forgiven because of faith in Jesus and say, nope, not good enough. That part of you that believes, I've trusted in Jesus, but there's still stuff I have to do to earn God's love. That is a scheme of the enemy. Or Matthew 4 and Matthew 13, he's shown as the tempter, the one who would press on your sin nature, the the already inside of you wicked desires that you have and entice you to follow them, to chase after them, to look for life apart from God. That part of you that would say, I know this is not good for me and God has said and commanded against it, but that is the scheme of the enemy. In Jude, he's shown as the disunifier of the church. That part of you that refuses to forgive or or suddenly wants to question every motive or action of people in your community group, or, or the part of you that wants to run and isolate from community or gossip and destroy church unity, that is a scheme of the enemy. 2 Corinthians 4, he's shown as the blinder the one who would blind the minds of unbelievers such that they will not worship or turn to God. When you have that coworker or neighbor or friend or family member who will say something like, I know God is real, I just don't want to follow him. That is a scheme of the enemy. Or Luke 13 or 2 Corinthians 12 or the whole book of Job, he's shown as the one who brings sickness and physical pain. A part of how the enemy and spiritual forces of evil might work is through the physical breaking down of our bodies. In other words for us the problem is that evil doesn't just exist it exists to make war against the people of God the spiritual forces of evil are against you flourishing as the people of God in your physical health and your identity in Christ Jesus by tempting your sin nature towards all sorts of sin by disrupting your unity with other believers and so on and so forth you have as a follower of Jesus if you are in Christ a very real enemy you have an enemy right, now if I can, just pause there. Let me hop over here and do a quick pastoral aside, okay? This doesn't fit in the flow. I just have to talk about it for a second. You have an enemy. And part of why this matters so much that we realize who our enemy actually is is because when we forget our real enemy, we start making up and attacking new ones. All right, so track with me here. This is why this is a worthwhile pastoral aside. When we lose sight of our real enemy, we make up and attack new ones. So when we lose sight of our real enemy, our spouse becomes the enemy. Or when we lose sight of our real enemy, our CG leader becomes the enemy. Or when we lose sight of our real enemy, then our living situation or our job or our stress at work becomes the enemy. When we lose sight of our real enemy, the person on the other side of the political aisle from us becomes the enemy. What I see happening so often is that many Christians will wake up and realize, you're right, we are in a war. The spiritual life is a war, but they do incredible amounts of damage to themselves and others when they forget who that war is against. So they start saying, I'm ready to fight, but they forget their real enemy, and so they fight everybody else besides the evil one. All right, time back in. Evil in the scriptures is a personal force or forces bent against and seeking to destroy the people of God. But if we just stop there, then, what are we left with but fear? If we just stop at that reality, there's an evil one seeking to destroy and devour the people of God. We're left in fear. This is what drives, I would argue, so much of Christian fear and defeatism, right? I've got an enemy, he's on the prowl, I'm doomed. And we live in a fear of evil, fear of temptation, fear of who we might become, fear of the future, fear of the next election, legislation, cultural change, whatever it may be. If we stop there, we live in fear, and yet we forget this central reality of the story. And that's number four, Christ triumphs over evil. Christ triumphs over evil at the heart of what Jesus came to do was disarm, demolish, and destroy the enemy and his kingdom, right? The arrival of Jesus on the scene 2000 years ago, and the kingdom of God, he ushers in with him is a declaration of war and nothing less. He comes, he lives the perfect life, resisting the kingdom of darkness while on the earth. He dies, and he rises again, defeating Satan, sin, and death. Just look at how the New Testament talks about it. 1 John 3, the reason the Son of God appeared was what? To destroy the works of the devil. Doesn't get any more clear than that. Colossians two fifteen: Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The best picture I can give of this is from a few weeks ago. Uh, So we've become uh, friends with a few families in our neighborhood who have kids around the same age as our kids. And it's a ton of fun to get to live in close proximity and be friends with folks that like you and also their kids like your kids, which is sometimes rare (laughs) in today's society. Uh, And one of them uh, turned two, and so we went to his party, and they brought in this company for his party called Party Pets, which is exactly what you would think it'd be. It's like this 65-year-old dude who's got a bunch of pets that he brings in to show them to kids, which is what I want to do in my future career, Uh, and so he brings them out, and the first animal he brings out, I kid you not, the first, I think it was maybe the third, the third animal he brings out is this giant snake, I mean this big snake, and I hate snakes, I hate them, like with a passion, so does Lindsay, like we're like, no, snakes are, no, they're bad, Genesis 3, right, the serpent is bad, okay, (laughs) And yet, he's like, hey, I need a volunteer. And who's the first kid to volunteer but my three-year-old Harper, right? (laughs) Raises her hand. She gets up. She stands up there. Now, Harper is not what you would call courageous by any stretch of the imagination, all right? We've done two weeks of soccer, and both of them are two weeks of meltdowns. Like, she's not, let's just go for it. Let me be the first to volunteer. But here she is. She's up there doing it. and And she stands up, and he tells her to, you know, put her hands above her head. And he wraps the snake like a belt around her waist, And we're in the back like, don't freak out, don't freak out. She's very calm. Don't freak out, don't freak out. But she's just like chilling. She's like, oh, look, a snake. I'm like, not my kid, all right? Not my kid, not Lindsay's kid. I don't know who this kid is, but this is wild. And so I'm like, okay, this is terrifying. This is freaking me out. And so I had to do a little bit of research and talk to Lindsay about why is this okay that we can do this? And what you realize when folks train snakes to be a part of these kind of uh, party tricks or at a zoo or things like that where they're gonna be interacting with a lot of humans is they do two things. One is they train them into submission. So they train the snake to not do anything outside of what the handler tells them to do. And the second thing you see is that they also, if it's a poisonous snake, will de-venom the snake. So it still has a bite. It still has fangs, right? It's still, in some sense, a dangerous looking animal, but it has very much been disarmed and brought under submission. That is what the Bible says Christ does to the powers of evil. Colossians 2, he has disarmed, he has devenomed the spiritual forces of evil in the world, such that they do nothing on their own accord, such that they cannot ever, ever harm you as the people of God. Now, in my bite, it might hurt a little bit, but they've been de-venomed. They've been disarmed. God is the one in charge. And so what we have to see is that the New Testament waves two flags really, really, really high, and both of them are needed in this idea of spiritual warfare. The first flag the New Testament's gonna wave a ton is that we are at war with the spiritual forces of evil. She's gonna wave that flag. Hey, there's a very real enemy seeking to devour you as the people of God. And the second flag it's gonna wave equally, if not higher, is Jesus reigns. He's disarmed the powers of evil. He's disarmed the rulers and authorities in the dominion of darkness. It's the two flags. You are under attack and Jesus reigns. So point number five, we pray, deliver us from evil. If those are the two flags of the New Testament, then that's what this line is. Jesus teaching us to pray, deliver us from evil. It's a simple prayer of sober minded, awake and alert, confident in the coming victory request. Father, keep us safe keep us safe. Rescue us from every accusation, every lie of deceit, every temptation, every seed of disunity, every sickness, every attack. Hedge us in and protect us and bring us out from the spiritual forces of evil. Why? Because even though Christ has disarmed the rulers and authorities, there is still a war for us to fight. So yes, Christ has defeated death. Yes, he has triumphed over them in his death and resurrection. And yet we know if you've lived any amount of time on the earth, we are still at war. We still face temptation. We still face deceit. We still face accusation and sickness and death, the powers of evil in the pain points and suffering of our world. We felt this this week, have we not? And that is because we live in this middle space that theologians call the already but not yet. This is a really crucial concept for you to understand for life with God, that you live and what the Bible would say, theologians would say is the already, but not yet. It's the already, meaning Christ has come and he has lived and he has died and he has risen again and Satan and death have been defeated, but we also live in the but not yet, meaning there is still a war being fought as we await Christ's second coming. That one day the scriptures promise that Christ will return, his victory, which is guaranteed, will be brought into fruition, and the enemy will be laid aside for all eternity. And so, right now, we're in that middle the already, but the not yet. The best example I have of this, and don't fact check me, history buffs, is World War II. Right, when the Allied forces landed on the coast of Normandy, June 6, 1944, right, Germany was all but defeated. That was the victory blow. Within two months, the Germans were in full retreat out of France. The Allies had essentially won the war. However, if you track with World War II history, you'll know that there's another nine months from then on of skirmishes and battles until the war was officially over when Germany surrendered on May 7, 1945. So though the war had been won, Though the beach of Normandy was stormed, though the the Axis powers were in full retreat and the allies had won, battles were still being fought. And that's the picture of the already but not yet. In the waiting time of leftover battles, right? The war is over, a victory is assured, and yet we still fight now as we await Christ's return and ultimate victory. So the question for us becomes then how do we fight? Prayer. How do we fight against the spiritual forces of evil? We pray. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 6. Hey, there are schemes of the devil attacking you as the people of God. Let me wave that flag. Be on guard, church. Be alert. Be awake. Stand against the schemes of the enemy. And then he tells us how. He goes into all these really fun things about the armor of God, right? The helmet of salvation and the sword and the shield and all these cool stuff. But notice how he ends Ephesians chapter 6, praying at all times in the spirit. So he waves the flag, you have an enemy, he's attacking you, he's going after you, here's how you fight him, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So there is a spiritual realm, in that spiritual realm are powers of evil, they attack us as the people of God, yet they are powerless under the reign of Christ, and so we pray, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. We pray for ourselves, we pray for our community, we pray for our church family, we pray for our friends and neighbors. Lord, deliver us. Supplication for all the saints. That's the invitation of this line. We go to our Heavenly Father and we pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. Now, let me bring this full circle as we get ready to close into the idea of communion, right? Because the essential goal of prayer is what? Six weeks. The essential goal of prayer is what? <laughs> communion with God. So here's the question for us. What if this week we let every danger lead us into prayer? That's the invitation of this line great picture of this. If I can tell one more story about my kid. Uh, this week, we uh, were hanging out outside because the weather's turning into spring and summer, which is awesome. And we have a, a wooden fence. And right above the wooden fence in our, our backyard is this really beautiful tree full of flowers. And so it's like carpenter bee paradise. Like it's just where they want to live and reign and rule. And so we're hanging out out there. And Harper is wanting to go play on this certain water table that she has. And so she kind of goes over there a little bit. And these bees start kind of flying all around her. And she's like, ah, a bug. And so she runs over to me she grabs my arm and she says, dada, dada. I was like, yeah, yeah, what?" she goes, can you come over with me? I said, what do you mean? She goes, I want to play water table. Can you come with me? Because what Harper knew in the presence of danger, the presence of threat and the presence of these bugs that might go after her, she knows, you know what I need? I need my father. If dad is here, I can play. If dad is here, I can be safe. If dad is here, I will be oh okay, what would it look like this week in the midst of every evil and every danger pressing on us as the people of God? We would say, if my dad is here, I'll be okay. That's the invitation back into communion. Every danger drawing us back into the presence of God. Because here's what I know, as those who live within the imminent frame, we have a million ways we can try to buffer ourselves away from the presence of evil and danger. So danger arises and we run not to communion with the father, but to communion with our bank account to pay our way out of danger or evil rises and we run our way not to communion with the Father, but to communion with our job and work. There's so many ways we try to buffer ourselves against the very real dangerous threat of evil, and yet God says, come back to me in prayer and into communion. Here's what I'm trying to say. Every danger or temptation from evil you face can be a place of communion with God if you bring it to him in prayer. That's the invitation of this line. As you're praying through and reading through the Lord's prayer and you get to verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You're invited back into communion with God in the midst of every evil and temptation you face. What if that was our posture in prayer this week? Temptation, all right, this is going to be tough, but it's a chance for communion with God. Accusations, deceit from the enemy, I get to commune with God. Bitterness and unforgiveness rising up in my soul towards the people of God, invitation to communion. Evil present in the world, invitation to communion. Evil present in my workplace, invitation to communion. Every danger drawing us back into the presence of God if, if we learn to pray. If we learn to be a people who pray. So let me just give us real quick, what this might look like to pray these prayers of spiritual warfare. And then as our been our practice this series, we'll just take a minute to practice together. Three just steps of prayers of spiritual warfare, just real practical. Hopefully this is helpful to you. Number one, number one, praying prayers of spiritual warfare. Number one is to look. Number one is to look. You just have to have eyes that are willing to look past the imminent frame of your life, to not be rushed and busy and hurried, but to pause and to look, where are the spiritual forces of evil pressing around me in temptation, lie, accusation, deceit, destruction, all of these things. I love J.I. Packer for this. He says, can you yet see your own life in terms of being threatened and endangered by evil of all sorts, and so of needing God's deliverance every moment? If not, believe me, you cannot yet see what you are looking at. You are like a person wandering blindfolded and with ears plugged in the middle of a city street with traffic coming both ways. You're like a person blindfolded with earplugs in the middle of South Boulevard at 5 o'clock on a Wednesday. Danger all around, oblivious to the very real threat you face. So we just got to look for it. Where is evil pressing in on my life? Second, we discern. We discern. And we discern in the context of community. The dangerous ledge of the cliff you could fall off after this sermon is the going from nothing is evil to everything is evil, right? Car's not starting, evil, right? woke up, you ate something bad the night before, a little bit of stomach bug, evil, right? Now, that's the the cliff that I I think most of us, if not all of us, are not actually going to be falling off of. So we want to discern, right? We want to look, okay, where is evil pressing in on me? And then we discern with community. Hey, what would it look like for you in, you know, talking to your spouse and you're having a heart to heart and you're just engaging with them. And you just ask the question, hey, where do you think the spiritual forces of evil are pressing in on me right now or on us? And you thinking that's a stupid question to ask, is you living in the imminent frame? because that's what the prayer would invite us to ask. Lord, show us and then deliver us, right? Where do you think the spiritual forces of evil are pressing in on our family, pressing in on our community, pressing in on our church? You ever just thought about, okay, I'm a part of this church, I'm a part of citizens, and it just feels like there's this consistent thread of blank, fill in the blank. Has your thought ever been, I wonder if that's the spiritual forces of evil. I wonder if something's pressing on us as a church and where God is trying to lead us as a community. And then third, Last and most obvious, pray for deliverance. Lord, deliver me from evil. Lord, hedge me in, protect me, deliver me from this. Take me far away from it. Set me free from these accusations, from these lies. Lord, I'm believing right now, even though I'm in Christ Jesus, that I'm not actually forgiven. Will you just deliver this evil from me? Lord, I'm pressed right now by temptation. I don't want to give into that sin, and it just feels like it won't let up. Would you deliver me from evil? that is the invitation of this prayer. So to kind of get us into this, we're going to spend a few minutes as we have been uh, just practicing prayer. Um, this is part of and what we've been doing in this series is talking about it and then actually giving us a chance to practice spiritual warfare prayers. And so we're going to do that. Uh, what I want to do to kind of get us into it is to read a prayer. Uh, Written kind of out of Psalm 59. So uh, Austin, you can come up if you want to. Um, This is a book called Sheltering Mercy, Prayers Inspired by the Psalms. It came out last year. If you just are struggling with language to pray, I would encourage you to get a really good book like this, Sheltering Mercy. There's a few others I can recommend to you. A book that just takes scripture and gives us words to pray. This is not a, um, a translation. It's not inerrant. It's not the word of God. It's just a prayer inspired by the Psalms. And I just thought it'd be fitting to kind of get us into this mode of prayer by reading uh, the prayer from Psalm 59 that they have. Uh, Ironically, it's titled, Deliver Me From Evil. Uh, Unironically, I I picked it for that. Um, But I wanna read this just as an example of what it might look like for you over the next few minutes and into this week to pray for deliverance from evil from the Lord. So if you wanna just close your eyes, if you wanna open up your hands in a a posture of receptivity and surrender, I just want to read this over you, and I'm going to give us a few minutes space just to ask the Lord, Lord, where is evil pressing in on me? I'm going to ask him for deliverance. Use these words as a, as a guide to that. Jesus, my Savior, deliver me from evil. Though I have walked in the way of life, keeping to your path, my eyes fixed upon you, evil still pursues me. Sin afflicts me darkness within and without the power of the air and my own judgments and jealousies seek to poison my mind So mutate my motives persistent threat, a present danger Faith is a waiting game patient expectation in the midst of crippling fear and sleepless nights Often I feel like a lamb led to the slaughter a sheep flung among wolves Deliver me, O Lord. Wage war on my behalf. As a lion defends its young, bear your holy arm in the sight of my foes. Fall upon them when they circle me, counting my bones. Do not let them escape. May we laugh together, Lord, when evil is overthrown, when darkness is scattered, when all that is hidden comes to light. From the shelter of your arms, I will watch as dawn breaks in a world made new. Jesus, my savior, deliver me from evil. Have you not proven yourself time and time again to be Lord, liberator, lover? Grant me victory, and may it be a testimony to all that none stand against you. No trial, tribulation, danger, or sword can separate me from your love. Sin sang to me, but your song was louder still. The howling hunger of death pursued me, but I had food from heaven. Your body, my meal, and your blood, my cup. We have wrestled you and I, limbs twisted until daybreak. And this is the line I've been praying all week. By your mercy, Lord, I limp my way to kingdom come. Maybe that's just what you need to pray, Lord. By your mercy, I limp my way to kingdom come. Jesus, my Savior, deliver me from evil take a few moments pray ask the lord where's evil pressing on me and ask him for deliverance confession, Father, is that the only way we will overcome and the only way that we will reach our home is through the blood of your Son. So we confess our need for you, Lord, deliver us from evil. Keep praying, but we want to move us into a time of response through song and through communion. Our prayer team will be around the room. If you need somebody to pray for you, you've got evil pressing in and you need somebody to pray, deliver us for your deliverance from evil, you can do that. If you need to keep praying on your own, you can do that as well. But the communion tables are open. This is for followers of Jesus. If you're a Christian, we invite you to come forward to take communion as a sign, an act of victory, declaration that through the death of resurrection of Jesus, the death of evil has been defeated, that Christ has won. And so I invite you to come forward to take communion, to get prayer, to stand and worship and declare together confidently that our hope and our power and our victory is in Christ and in Christ alone. Amen. Amen.